There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 19th of October, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Concern mounts as the clock ticks down to the 31st of March next year. That's uh, the date when the United Kingdom will formally leave the European Union. It's hoped that the terms of the divorce will be agreed before then, but if there is no withdrawal agreement, Britain will crash out of the Union and an Irish border is inevitable. What that might mean for trade, prosperity and people's freedom of movement is one thing. What it might mean for peace on this island is another thing. It might mean a return to the troubles and the likes of a story remembered in the Irish Times this week of a customs post bombing in 1972. That's according to the Taoiseach. Leo Vradker outlined this story to European leaders in Brussels yesterday, warning that a return to a hard border would threaten a return to violence in Northern Ireland. The Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, joins us now. Uh, Minister, why is the Taoiseach talking about the return of a hard border or the troubles for that matter if the government isn't planning for one? Morning, Michael. Um, so I think what the Taoiseach was trying to do, and, and I think anybody who, uh, I suppose, even saw the front page of the, the Irish Times the other day, it was a story about a woman who had lost her father who uh, had been killed in a bomb which went off as a customs post. And really, I think the reason that the Taoiseach brought this up when he was sitting with his 26 EU colleagues was not to, to, to put fear into people, but really to say, look, this is what happened when we had customs posts. This is the memories that people have, and these are the fears that people still have because so much of that article was from the family's perspective and point of view and their concerns as to what might happen. So I think really it was it was a reminder to the EU colleagues you know, this is what happens when we had customs post. We we can't even countenance the idea that we would go back to that. Um, and, you know, I suppose he, he talked about a lot of other things as well. And I think what came out of that meeting again was absolute solidarity for Ireland, absolute solidarity about the need and the requirement for a legally operable backstop. But obviously the challenge now, as you've said, we haven't reached that point that we wanted to reach for this summit. And so we still have to 
they'll have to find mm. a solution to, to the backstop. Which but Minister, you said there we can't countenance that. That's something you've been saying all along, that we can't countenance the idea of customs posts. We can't countenance the idea of the return of a hard border on this island. Uh, but have we not just done that? Has the Taoiseach not just done that? Absolutely not. I think he, you know, as I said, I think he, he used it to, and, and it was merely just to explain to people what had happened. And because there was so much talk around customs and a, a lot of the discussion now in the last week or two, in particular with no negotiations, has been around avoiding any customs checks, either north-south, but also east-west. And it was merely to explain to people what had happened in the past and why we cannot go back. And I suppose why I keep saying that we can't countenance the return to it and, and why we won't accept it. Mm. Because everybody is of the same opinion. It's not just me. It's not just the Irish government. It's people north of the border. It's people west. And it's all of the EU 27 as so a whole. So it's not even possible. Well, as far as we are concerned, the UK have given commitments, not just, mm. uh, you know, in the last two weeks, over the summer, last December. No, I'm just, I just find it very hard to understand, Minister, Friday, forgive me, but uh, I, I can't understand why the Taoiseach would sit down with the leaders of 26 countries and talk about something that's not possible. I think the Taoiseach wanted to remind people exactly what happened when there was a border. I don't think it was talking about this is what will happen if we return to a border. He wanted to remind people why it's not possible to have posts north or south. Why well, he he said at his press conference yesterday that. Uh, that he was using it a, a, as a prop to highlight how concerned people are about the re-emergence of a hard border and the possibility of a, a return to violence. Uh, he said that both are very real. Well, I think anybody who hasn't travelled to the border, and, and so many of our European colleagues have, and we're extremely grateful that they have taken the time not just to actually physically come and see what the border's like, but they've met with people. So they themselves have heard these stories, mm. they've heard the concerns, they understand why we can't go back to that. And so I suppose mm. for those who haven't travelled, for the Taoiseach to be able to say, this is... I suppose the, the concerns that people have, and this is why we have continuously said and why we, we absolutely um, need your continued support, and we have that. But this is why we have said what we said. These are the, the challenges that mm. we would face. But the Taoiseach um, said he, he wanted to make sure nobody was misunderstanding what the Irish government was saying and that they all realised that the Irish government, government wasn't exaggerating the real risk of a return to violence. How real a risk is it? Again, I think we all know that the challenges that could be faced if there was a return to a hard border, and that's why we have continuously said it can't happen. It can't be the case. I'm here in County Monaghan this morning uh, for the third Brexit Ready Roadshow, and, and the people here in particular who are so close to the border, you know, who have witnessed uh, things in their lifetime and who not just, I suppose, their own communities and, and their own personal stories, but their businesses and, and how they may be impacted you know, people just can't countenance it, and we can't. And that is why I think the Taoiseach mm. just wanted to remind people of, of, of the fears that everybody has. And again, to go back to the fact that the commitment has been given, not just in terms of the, the document last week or, or uh, last December and, and the commitment to avoid a hard border, but the commitment that was given when the UK government signed off on the Good Friday Agreement, which no border is an integral part of ensuring that we can uphold the Good Friday Agreement, no, kind that of, we can protect yeah. the peace process. And, and a company, mm. sorry, a company, a country like the UK, the idea that they would not 
fulfil or uphold commitments that they have given. I don't think any of us think that that can be the case. And so we need to work with Theresa May, who I absolutely, I genuinely believe that she is 100% behind this, that she herself has said on many occasions, we cannot return to a hard border. And so we need to keep working. We need Mm. to remain focused. We need to re-engage. And I think the the task force and and the UK government will be re-engaging effective immediately to try and resolve this issue. But for us, it's not... Um, it's not even possible that we could return to the ideas of the past. But I think Mm. it's important to remind our colleagues and and to outline to those who haven't had a chance to visit why we're saying this and why those fears are there. Yeah, and I suppose to a large degree, uh, if not completely, uh, their hands are are tied in terms of the Good Friday Agreement because that's an international binding agreement. Uh, but in terms of these negotiations, uh, they haven't been very trustworthy, have they? I mean, Mrs May, who you spoke highly of uh, there, did commit to a backstop for Northern Ireland and then went into the House of Commons and said uh, she'd never agree to such a thing. So she has given a commitment as recently as uh, Thursday, yesterday, to or, or Wednesday evening, sorry, um, to a legally operable backstop. She has given a commitment, and I think there, there seems to be maybe some... Uh, confusion in terms of a time frame, but she said that it could not be time limited, which means there can't be a specific date, but yes, it is temporary, which means it would have to be there unless and until. We know that the task force, along with the UK team, are looking at the possibility that you would have a UK-wide customs territory space. That would obviously remove the need for any kind of customs checks north or south, but also east and west, as that's something that she has to navigate within her own government and her own country. But there are obviously difficulties with that. When we say that we need a legally operable backstop, we mean that if, per se, and obviously this is not the case, Mm. Brexit were to happen tomorrow, we need to have something that is legally workable and that can come into place immediately. And if you're talking about a custom shared space, whether that can be put into a legally operable text, is obviously something that we're still working through and the task force is working through. So, mm. And unless you know, and until is uh, the phrase uh, that's being used uh, to say that Northern Ireland would stay in the customs union unless and until the border issue is solved. Uh, and uh, the position on that is that it just wouldn't change until the border issue was solved. Uh, and that's one backstop. Uh, what's being proposed now is a second backstop for the rest of the United Kingdom, uh, and that that would stay uh, in the uh, European Union, Customs Union, on a, a temporary basis. So, I mean, if, if you want to look at it as, as a two-tiered backstop, whatever is proposed, really, and, and again, I suppose there are challenges with both of those, and there are uh, positive aspects of them as well that would address the Irish issue but would also mean moving forward the UK as a whole and the EU as a whole would have a close relationship one that avoids a lot of disruption for people and and for business and and industry and people's lives however what I suppose we are clear on is that any proposal that's put forward whether it's one tier or two tier whether it's a whole of UK approach or not once it is something that is legally operable once it avoids a hard border, once it protects the integrity of the single market and the customs union, and as you say, the agreements last March, that it would be there unless and until something better or something different comes along to to fulfil the criteria. That is what we are looking for. So however we actually get to that end point, 
we are very open to. And I think what definitely came out of the, the meeting of the EU27 leaders uh, on Thursday evening was that the support for Michel Barnier is there and within the parameters of the guidelines they have given to him to negotiate. You know, he can be flexible, but we must ensure that the integrity of the single market and the customs union are protected. But at the same time, we we have to, this is a negotiation, a very difficult negotiation. And so both sides have to be able to to give a little and to try and be as flexible, but also as imaginative as possible. And I think that's why we've seen the discussions move towards the the whole of UK customs and and other Mm. areas as well. And, And I think it's important for people to know that the negotiations, which concluded last week, which were, you know, as I said before, I don't think people got much sleep for the week. Uh, there were a number of issues that had been outstanding that were resolved. So, you know, we really are coming down to some of the very last percentage of this withdrawal agreement that we need to resolve. But when you talk a, a, about a, a two-tier backstop, uh, well, you're talking about one tier for Northern Ireland and the other tier then for the rest of the United Kingdom. Uh, in other words, Northern Ireland would be leaving the European Union on different terms than the rest of uh, the United Kingdom. Well, when we talk about the backstop, you know, we have to remind people we're talking about something that we hope never to use. Mm. And this is the point of it. We don't want to have to use the backstop. We want to ensure that moving forward, the future relationship is comprehensive. And so you have a challenge in that if you cannot put the whole of customs or the whole of the UK customs. But the terms are different, aren't the they, backstop. Well, I mean, it, it just depends. And you see, this is the thing that I suppose we're still working through this or the mm. task force is still working through this. If you can't have that customs piece in the backstop specific to Northern Ireland, does it then move forward and form part of the future mm. relationship, which is then where we talk about the transition period and ensuring that we have enough time to negotiate mm. what we're planning. But so the, 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 union, the unionists will tell you if you have a backstop specific to Northern Ireland, it doesn't wash. Uh, they don't mind if it's a backstop that's specific to the United Kingdom or a front stop that's specific to the United Kingdom or a round-the-block stop that's specific to the United Kingdom. But when it's different for one part of the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland, they're not accepting it. And I think this is why, and, and we have to absolutely respect that there is a, a challenging political scenario in, in the UK. And obviously, uh, Theresa May must work with her own colleagues and obviously opposition parties and those within government. And I think that's why the task force have tried to be as flexible and as imaginative as possible. And this is why when we talk about a shared mm. Custom space means that you wouldn't have the customs checks east and west, that you wouldn't have anything different. And I think what we need to get to a point is that the future relationship will be so comprehensive that we never need the backstop. And I think that's why we're trying to, to look at things differently. And, mm. you know, again, I suppose... It may be an indefinite withdrawal agreement. Uh, this is the other concern uh, that people are expressing in the United Kingdom, in a different part of the United Kingdom, in Mrs May's own party, because uh, as part of this, you're talking about extending that two-year, 21-month period, as it is, uh, by a year, uh, which would mean uh, that uh, the transition period would run till 2021 instead of 2020. Uh, and the hardline Brexiteers are saying, well, why wouldn't that be pushed out to 22 or 23? This could go on for forever. Uh, how long are we going to be in Europe before we can get out? So the proposal that you would extend the transition period it is just a proposal. Um, if you get to the stage on the 31st of December 2020, which is when it is due to end initially, and you don't have and we're at a stage where we're, we're nearly there, we nearly have an agreement on a future relationship, to then extend that period at that point in time would be very difficult. Whereas if you were to include a clause 
in the withdrawal agreement now to say that we could possibly, and it would be for a fixed time, we could possibly extend by a year. It leaves the option open. And I think Theresa May was very clear in saying we hope not to to do that. Um, I understand, obviously, they are leaving. They don't want to be in a state of transition forever, and that's absolutely uh, understandable. So we just still need to have that possible bit of extra space to make sure that if a deal is in sight, that we're actually able to sign off on it, that we have that extra bit of time. But of course, we hope not to have to use it. But, you know, I, I think we've all been up the, the, the view that 18 months to complete a, a full deal is very ambitious. And so we, we should have that bit of buffer and space to ensure that we, we can try and get a deal. But again, you know, I think now, as I've said many times, it is the time for people to, to remain focused and the support from Michel Barnier to continue negotiating on our behalf. The unity of the 27 and support for Ireland is still strong. And now it's about people getting back around the table and trying to finalise these conclusions. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Local Fine Gael TD and Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Cervical cancer screening is back in the news because women are waiting up to 18 weeks and sometimes more than that to have their results returned to them. In fact, 60,000 people are waiting on results as we speak. Yesterday, the Thornister Simon Coveney apologised to all of these women. I know that addressing the backlog is a priority for the Minister and the HSC. The programme was operated for many years with a reporting time of between four and six weeks, as we know. Uh, Unfortunately, results are currently being reported within 18 weeks uh, of the test being taken. Uh, In a small number of cases, it's even longer than that. Um, It's not good enough. Uh, And I would like to apologise to those patients affected and, and assure them that everything possible is being done to try and improve this situation. Thomaster Simon Coveney apologising to some 60,000 women who are waiting on the results of smear tests in the Dáil yesterday. He was responding during leaders' questions to Sinn Féin's health spokesperson, Louise O'Reilly. Well, there's a long list of apologies, Michael. This is the problem. Um, women have been repeatedly apologised to, but what the exchange with the, the Tarnishty yesterday and the doll showed me is that precious little has changed because it's just another apology. In, uh, in May of this year, the Minister for Health made a commitment to women that should they need a repeat smear test, because at the time, and you'll remember, you and I spoke about this at the time, mm. at the time there was, uh, th- there was a, lot of, um, a lot of worried women. They were contacting the helpline and on the basis of information from the helpline, the minister came to the, the microphone, made a bold statement, said any woman that wants uh, a repeat smear test will be able to access it. But what he didn't do was make a small few checks with general practitioners in the first instance and then secondly with the, the labs where the tests were going to go. So he made that promise and he now can't make good on that promise. Um, and and that, that is the difficulty. And as a result of that and the fact that women are waiting in some cases for more than 18 weeks for their, uh, their repeat tests, in other cases um, the, uh, the slides are expiring so women are going to have to go for yet another test. Um, I pointed out to the Tarnishty yesterday that the, they haven't separated out the urgent um, from the scheduled or from the repeat test, hmm. so that there's, you know, that, that there are uh, there are women who are extremely anxious who are left waiting. That there are three and, categories, uh, and some yes. are more urgent than others. In other words, yes, and uh, unfortunately, they appear to have all 
uh, been put into the same sort of category. And we see now that women are waiting in some instances for more than 18 weeks. And the Tanish did apologise. And I, I give him his due on that. Mm. He was very quick to apologise. But really, at this stage, you'd have to ask yourself, you know, the, the, what's at the heart of the, the cervical check scandal is the failure to be honest with women. Do you and believe that the government is being honest now? Because uh, you were very critical of the lack of planning that went into making these repeat tests uh, available to women. And then you called on the government to be honest. What I said to him was, the government have to be realistic and honest with women. And they have to say, if you are going for a repeat test, it might take longer. They also have to uh, have to acknowledge the fact that there are three different categories and they should be treated differently. And they also need to give women a realistic time frame. And this is what I was saying to the Tonishti yesterday. Is come out and tell women. Because if you're waiting on the result of your smear test, particularly if you are a woman who is symptomatic and you're, you're told it'll be you know between four and eight weeks, and then you add another 10 weeks onto that. That's 10 weeks of women ringing their doctors every morning or every second morning and saying, has, has that result come back yet? Has that result come back yet? That's, that's an extra 10 weeks of women worrying. And really, if they were upfront with women in the first instance, or, I mean, let's be honest, Michael, what they should have done is uh, talk to general practitioners and talk to the labs and put the uh, support and any additional resources in place. Now we hear yesterday from the Taunashta that they're going to be trying to manage annual leave. You and I both mm. know what managing annual leave means, cancelling annual leave. They're going to be trying to make overtime available and all of this. Like, why could that not have been done? Why would the, could the minister have resisted the urge to make a quick sound bite and instead gone back to his desk, done the necessary preparatory work and then come out mm. and said... I now have a plan to make good on that problem. Was he caught on the hop? Uh, I, I mean, uh, you'd have to assume uh, that he was sincere in offering the repeat tests and he believed uh, that that was plausible. But perhaps he didn't realise that so many women would uh, avail of the offer because uh, the Tonister was suggesting yesterday that there's two reasons for this massive delay now, uh, which is seeing some slides go out of date, uh, which uh, is very worrying in I- itself. But he said it's because of the of women who are taking up on the repeat offer and that there are more women coming forward for screening. Which is a very good thing, but they would have known that because the the Minister didn't make the promise for the uh, free repeat test until they were getting information from the helpline that that was what women wanted. So they would have been able to gauge that there was going to be an upsurge in demand. And I didn't like the tone that Patanishta took yesterday when he said, well, you know, there was an upsurge in demand. He said to me there was an upsurge in demand. And I'm thinking, well, of course there was an upsurge in demand. There was a crisis. There was a helpline. And uh, and indeed, the the, the minister had promised anyone that wanted could have a, a free repeat test. So there was always going to be an upsurge in demand. But the minister couldn't resist the soundbite in exactly the same way as the Taoiseach went on the 6-1 News and when he was asked a hard question he said oh well no woman will have to go mm. to court and in the intervening time we know that plenty of women have had to go to court he couldn't make good on that promise so what I was saying yesterday and, and, and you know I say this as someone who uses the cervical check service myself be upfront and honest with us just simply tell us how long is it going to take and also if you are going to make a promise like that, if you are going to say, you know, everyone can have a repeat test, 
spend a few days or a few hours or however long it takes getting the uh, getting the facilities in place to ensure that that can happen instead of allowing a backlog of up to 60,000 tests to build up because that's not doing women any service. It's really good that there's been an uptake in women getting screened. That's a really good thing. But now we see women who maybe are first-time users of the service. They're told, you'll get your results in six to eight weeks. They're waiting 18 weeks. That's mm. not going to inspire confidence uh, in a service that's going to deliver for them. And, you know, the, the government needs to dispense with the glib sound bites and need to actually look at what it is that, that the impact that this has on real life women in their own communities, in my community, in your community. And they, they, they need to take a step back and say, let's resist the urge to run up to the microphone and make a sound bite and, and mm. try to sound like a hero. Well, the Tarnishta did say yesterday. Getting, it, uh, getting the facilities in place. The Tarnishta, Simon Coveney, did say yesterday that they would do everything possible to make women aware of how long they'd be waiting to get their results back. Do you accept that, Louise, already? They're not doing everything possible, but what I did say to him was there needs to be an information and a publicity campaign about the service and about the fact that they are uh, experiencing um, increased demand. And also GPs need to be informed so that they can tell women uh, it's not going to be six to eight weeks. It may be longer than that. And they also need to have a look at the categorisation so that any of those slides that are urgent are treated as urgent uh, and repeat slides. You know, that there should be separate categorisation for that. And I think that, you know, it's not too much to ask that there would be an information campaign. There's an information campaign encouraging, encouraging us to go and get screened, which is very important. But there should be uh, an information campaign uh, to advise women that there is unprecedented demand and that there now uh, is an unprecedented delay in relation to uh, the, the, the access to the service. Um, you know, women want to be able to, women have faith in the screening service. We want to be able to, to go, we want to know uh, at what point we're going to get the results back because women do wait for this. You know, they, they, we do, you get your smear test, you, you to some extent put it out of your mind, but it's still there. And if after eight weeks you haven't heard, then you start to think, oh, I wonder if there's anything wrong now. And so you're ringing your doctor, you're ringing your doctor, trying to see if the results are back. And there's a wall of silence. And that, you know, into that vacuum, that's where uh, that's where fear creeps in. And very often, there's no need to be to be worried. But the, the point being, if the government were honest, if they just resist the urge to make the glib soundbite and instead sat at their desk and did the necessary work, we wouldn't be having this. Okay, we have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for joining us this morning, as always. Louise O'Reilly is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health. Michael Reed on LMFM. Concern is mounting in Dundalk for 180 jobs at the authentic food company, independent local TD. Peter Fitzpatrick joins us now. And LMFM News reporting this morning that production did not start at the plant today because there seems to be a showdown of sorts underway with workers demanding answers. Indeed, people have been looking for answers about the future of this company for weeks on end now. Well, Michael, uh, a few weeks ago, I met uh, staff members of uh, Authentic Foods. Uh, they were very disappointed. They were very unsure. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, on the 4th of October, uh, I raised my concerns in the door and uh, the tone of Simon Coveney. Uh, I explained to him that there's 180 jobs that could be lost in the dark. I asked for help. I said, could the government do anything? Uh, he, he promised me that he would contact uh, Minister uh, uh, Heather Humphrey's office and get them to contact me. 
And in fairness, they did actually contact me. And in fairness, they, they, they are, they're dealing directly with authentic food in the UK. Their, their CEO is a, is a person called Mr. Nick uh, Brasman. And Enterprise Island has engaged with him for the last few weeks. Uh, I, last week, I went up to the, up to the plant in the dock. Uh, I met the management up there, Stephen. Uh, I raised my concerns. I, I, I told him that... Uh, like, you know, uh, this factory has been fantastic uh, to mm. the dog since 1993. I explained that the staff are very concerned. I told them I looked at the website, and uh, in the website, uh, the employees made comments, and they were, they were saying that, 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 that the factory was, was a fantastic factory, the wages, conditions were excellent, and they wanted to continue on working there. So uh, I asked him, I asked him, what could we do? He turned back, he said to me, what can you do for this factory? And I said, instead of going to and fro, I said, I said, the government has given me commitment. They, like, it, it, it's great. And Dork has been very lucky over the last 10 years. The amount of foreign direct investors came to the area. It's fantastic creating jobs. But I told him it'd be even better if he could save these 180 jobs. So he gave me commitment that he would come back to me this week. And I'm, I'm hoping to come back. If, if this come back to me sometime this morning, I would go to the factory this morning and see him. Michael, it's so important. We mm. have to do our best to save these jobs. Yeah, well, it's a, a lot of jobs, isn't it? Uh, and uh, a lot of history, uh, as you say, uh, on site for 25 years. Uh, but uh, all the signals are negative, aren't they, uh, at this stage? I think you've been uh, hearing uh, that production is due to cease from the 26th of October. Uh, elsewhere, it's been suggested that it would cease the 28th of October. So, uh, at best, if those... Uh, indications are correct we're talking about a week left uh, if it already hasn't come to a head uh, because uh, there's obviously something happening uh, at uh, Authentic Foods this morning Well Michael as I said I met the manager there uh, last week uh, I, 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 I give him all the concerns I told him about the rooms about the 26th of October he, he gave me a commitment that nothing, there was nothing in, in stone uh, he, he did say that they had a fantastic staff and a good connection with the dog. Mm. I told him that the, the dog is, is, is one of these towns that, that's really going places. The amount of jobs that's created, and I said, authentic food has played a big part in this here. I just said, and listen, the, these people have given a commitment, Michael, and, uh, and you know, these people, a lot of people have been working there from day one, from 1993 upwards. And as I said, yeah, like 180 jobs is not to be sniffed at. But I will, I will agree with you. There's no, there's, you know, the, 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 these rumours are not mm. getting, getting bigger and bigger. But it, the most important thing is these people deserve to be engaged. I believe that the, produ- the production line uh, didn't go ahead this morning at five o'clock. Uh, uh, to me, that's a big concern. Uh, why, wh- why was that? Uh, what's your understanding of the reason for it? I think the reason is, Michael, is uh, the management has not been engaging with, with, with the staff. No, but it, what, what was it that the workers didn't go on the line or that uh, there wasn't work for them on the line? Michael, I'm going to be scared. Michael. I don't know, Michael. Yeah. What, 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 what I mean, from, from, from LMFM's news reports, it, it appears uh, as though the workers didn't go on the line because uh, they wanted to meet. They're obviously very anxious uh, and stressed uh, and concerned about their futures. Uh, but uh, it seems from the reports that our newsroom is running that they wanted to meet with management, that they had so many questions as to whether they're going to have a, a job in a week from now that they decided, look, we need to know now. Well, I, I, I think the management haven't owned this and uh, these people who've given a commitment for the last 25 years. And I, I, I think it, it, it's coming to the stage now at the moment. It's, it's push or shove. These people know that maybe next week could be the last week working up there and it's not going to be good for them and their family. Mm. They, need, they need clarity. And I, I, would, I would head up now this morning and hopefully the manager, in fairness, any time I was up there, the manager did see me. As I said, they gave me a commitment to, to come back today. I've given them a commitment that I got from the government that there'd be no stone left in town. Like, 
as I said to you, it's, it's great creating jobs. But listen, this, 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 these are 180 well-paid jobs. People love working up there at the moment, and it's been in the dark for a long, long time. Well, that's the truth. Uh, but uh, will it be here next week is uh, the big question. Uh, and uh, the trade union uh, that represents most of them, the Unite uh, Trade Union, uh, hoping uh, to bring some clarity to this later in the morning for us here on the radio station. As you say, you're hoping to meet uh, with the management uh, yourself. But it must be an incredi- incredibly stressful time for anybody, uh, whether they've been working there for the last two years or the last 25 years, not to know. Uh, if their job is secure. Well, Michael, as you, as you know, Michael, uh, there's, a, there's been a big recession in the country for the last 10 years. Uh, we feel as though things are starting to improve. Mm. Like, uh, it's, it's not nice going home on a Friday evening, uh, not knowing when you're going to get paid the following week or the week after that. There's a lot of these people that's working up in authentic field at the moment, their families, their mortgages, like, you know, they've, they've, they've loans. And it's just not nice there at the moment. Like, like you think like, a company... Like uh, with the reputation of authentic food would be maybe a lot more secure and everything else at the moment. Like, like what people are on the night is people are looking for a secure job. Yeah. And if you're in a job since 1993 and for the last number of years with recessions, and it, it, it actually got through, authentic food took over the running of the factory in uh, 2015. And in fairness, like, people are very happy to see such a well established, organised uh, company coming in to take over the high factory. And you would think that your job would be secured and everything else, but it's not a nice thing to uh, just not knowing what's happening. And I think I think that, that, that the management, and I will be sending the management today, they do have an onus. These people have given a commitment to this company for the last number of years. And in fairness, I think the least they should know is what, what, is, what, what is happening, what is going forward. Well, I, I suppose most companies, if they're not in trouble, will tell you that they're not in trouble, that there's no risk to the company closing down. There's no risk to the jobs uh, that are involved in it. And when they don't say that, uh, I take it there's reason for concern. What level of concern? Uh, I suppose time will tell, but uh, there's undoubtedly reason for concern. Well, I asked employers, did they see a torn down in business over the last number of months or years? They said no. They told me that things were going really, really well up there. Mm. So that's my concern at the moment is, like, like, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, they invested big in the company in 2015, and I'm sure they did spend a few million upgrading the whole position there at the moment. Yeah. They took on, on 180 well-trained staff at the moment. And I know myself, Michael, as a former business person myself, and, and, and I know they have a responsibility of looking after these 180 people. And I, I, I think, as I said to you, I think, I think the management has no choice but to come out and be clean with these people is... Uh, I have a good feeling, Michael, and hopefully this thing could mm. work out. But at the same time, too, Michael, there's a bit of uncertainty at the moment. Is and I, as you said, like whether it's good news or bad news, these people need to have a clarity going forward. Yeah, as I said, yeah. and it doesn't always have to make sense either, does it, Peter? I, I, I mean, quite often you hear of profitable companies closing down a plant so that they can be more profitable by setting up a, a plant elsewhere. And people will remember Dell, for example, when it pulled out of Ireland and took two thousand jobs with it to make more profit elsewhere. Michael, it, it is very, very disappointing. And like my, my thoughts about the families at the moment is like, like. It's just not, it's not a nice thing every week to, to be. There's a lot of worrying going on at the moment, and people have other worries about their health and education. Every at the moment, but these people are really, really worried at this stage. What's going to happen next week? Where's the money going to come from? Like as, as, as I said here, I checked the website. 
the employees have there's nothing negative on the website about the company. They, they, they said that the company was good wages, good conditions, mm. and everything else. And, they, and, and in fairness, these employees have shown a shown commitment to stay with this company for so long. And the least the company can do, come out and complain. Mm. If there is going to be redundancies or something's going to happen, please let, these, let, let them know. Because there's nothing more. So it actually eats away in your mind at the moment. Is. And, well, and we, we hope that nothing happens. Uh, but if something does happen, if some people are let go or if everybody is let go and the plant closes down, no doubt uh, the website will continue to operate and it'll continue to look uh, as positive as, as it does uh, because uh, this is a, a company uh, that has its headquarters in Manchester, doesn't it? Yes, as I said, yeah, and again, uh, the Enterprise Ireland has been engaging directly with the CEO in Manchester there at the moment. As I said, yeah, it's a big it's a big international company. Uh, it gets balanced books. Everything seems to be going really, really well. Mm. As I said, yeah, the staff, the, the, normally when, when you see things going bad, it's normally the, the people on the production line would see things going down. But things have been going steadily for the last number of months and number of years, and they don't, no one actually seen it coming. As you said, yeah, a, few, a few weeks ago, uh, there were rumours come in, and all of a sudden, when rumours go in, it, it, it builds up and builds up. Mm. All we're looking for is a bit of clarity from, from the management, and I think they only do the staff. And I would be going up this morning to meet the management this morning. And the last time I went up, they met me no problem. I just hope that they meet me again. I I I know hitting the agenda here at the moment is my my only concern is it's the 180 families that have given the commitment to this company for the last 25 years. I think they're entitled to know what the future lies ahead of them. Have you heard from Minister Heather Humphreys at all about this? No, no. As I said, yeah, I raised in the door with Simon Coveney. He told me that he that he would uh, he would contact Heather Humphreys' uh, department to contact me. In fairness, our department contacted me and explained to me that they were engaging for the last few weeks directly with the CEO in Manchester. Uh, as I said, I, I then I went up to meet to, uh, the manager of the company up there, Stephen. I explained the position there at the moment. Is, I said, listen, these people are really, really concerned. I said, these people have given a commitment to, to authentic food and Heinz's for the last 25 years. I said, at least they know, they know what's happening. He gave me a commitment that he come back to me this week. As I said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go up later on today. All, all, all we just need is clarity. And I'm just hoping that, 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 that these families get good news. Because these like, 180 families, 180 mortgages, like, you know, kids going to school and, and loans and everything else. Like, like as I said, yeah, these, these, these are good, well-paid jobs. And, and these jobs are going to be very hard to replace if, 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 if something does go wrong. All we need is clarity, and as I said, is the government give me a commitment that they will leave no stone unturned. That you know, like people are talking about the Brexit and all situations at the moment. Is that this company is a company that's going well, and they have to have a valid reason if they are going to close. And listen, I don't mean to scare my mm. I'm a very positive uh, uh, person. I'm just hoping that uh, things can be sorted over the next few days. As I said, yeah, hopefully we get a bit more clarity today. All right, I'm sure there's a, a lot of people who'd uh, share uh, in that with you. And thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Joe from County Meath was in touch during your discussion on Brexit with the Minister Helen McEntee. And Joe says that in the business that he is in, he spends a lot of time around the border counties. And he says that he's been hearing that there's interviews going on both north and south for custom jobs. And he's saying, is anybody aware of this? He says that... um, 
if that he feels that the government is actually preparing for a hard border at the moment and especially when he hears that interviews are happening. Another listener was in touch regarding Brexit just to say that uh, agreeing with the business owner whose comment I read out yesterday, Michael, who expressed her concern about what might lie ahead. And this listener says, I am in business in the Dundalk area and there is a lot of fear amongst those in business. We've already had a tough time over the past couple of years and for many people, Brexit could be be the breaking point. Mm. Uh, moving then to um, the smear tests, uh, we have a couple of comments in relation to that. Mairead from Drogheda says, Michael, so what we are hearing is that all those women who took up on the repeat offer because they were so concerned about the wrong uh, diagnosis being given are now having to wait ridiculous amounts of time to get the results. What if there's something wrong and indeed these results would have shown that there is something, you know, that something has showed up Mm. that they will be delayed getting treatment and also Mairead has a worry about the smear tests possibly going out of date. And should women be concerned about that, that they may have to go back again? Uh, well, yes, I think is uh, the simple answer to that as to whether they're all repeat tests uh, that are, are being delayed. Uh, well, I don't think anybody knows uh, the answer to that because uh, there's uh, three categories of prioritisation and they've all been mixed together and uh, those uh, repeat tests aren't prioritised over routine tests, for example. We do know that there's 60,000 tests in a, a backlog and some women are, are waiting 18 weeks and some more than that for their results, which is causing the concern and led to the apology from the Thonish Day yesterday. Let's uh, go to Liverpool now, though, and indeed uh, the thoughts of people in Dunboyne who are very concerned undoubtedly uh, about Sean Cox, who was assaulted outside of Anfield Stadium. Uh, the trial of an Italian man uh, found yesterday that he, he was not guilty of uh, the assault causing a grievous bodily harm on Mr Cox, uh, but he has been sent to prison for three years. Frank Graney, court correspondent for News Talk, is on the line. Frank, uh, tell us what happened in court yesterday. Well, at about three o'clock yesterday afternoon, the uh, judge called the men and women of the jury back into court 10 at Preston Crown Court. And the reason he did so is because they'd been deliberating at that point for about nine hours. And he said to them at that point that he would accept a majority verdict from them. So he had asked them when he sent them out to consider their verdict two days ago, he did ask them to return a unanimous verdict, um, one of which they were all in agreement. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And clearly they were having difficulty do, to do so. So we offered them the um, option of returning a majority verdict of at least 10 jurors or more. And um, as soon as he did that, they retired to their jury room. They came back minutes later and they did come back with their verdict and they acquitted uh, Filippo Lombardi, a 21-year-old Roma fan who was accused of causing a grievous bodily harm, a very serious charge, uh, a charge that has a maximum penalty of life imprisonment uh, over here. And uh, he was found not guilty of that yesterday afternoon. But he got a, a three-year sentence nonetheless. He did. Well, that was in relation to another charge. So Mr Lombardi was arrested after the game uh, between Roma and Liverpool in Anfield last April. He was identified by Italian police on the back of some video footage of the alleged incident that was taken by a Liverpool fan outside Anfield. And he was identified, he was arrested, he was taken to custody, he was questioned four times. Um, and he was eventually charged with two offences. The first was the more serious one, obviously, of of causing that serious assault on Mr. Cox that has left him with such uh, catastrophic brain injuries. And the second was one of violent disorder, a lesser charge, a one which on conviction has a potential sentence of five years in prison. And he was um, sentenced for that yesterday. And Judge Mark Brown had some interesting comments for him in relation uh, to that because Mr. Lombardi had taken the stand himself on Monday he was under no obligation to do so, but he wanted to put his version of events forward. And he said and insisted to the jurors that he didn't set out to start any trouble that night, that he had travelled over from Italy uh, just to watch his beloved Roma playing in this big match. We heard that he played for Roma as, a, as an underage footballer. He's a, a talented sports person. He's, um, he has no previous convictions. He was studying in university at the time. And he said that he didn't set out to cause any trouble and that he was essentially acting in self-defence when he found himself surrounded by what he described as aggressive Liverpool fans. Now, when Judge Mark Brown was sentencing him yesterday in relation to this violent disorder uh, charge that he pleaded guilty to, he said that he didn't believe him. He didn't believe what he had said about that, that he didn't think that he had been confronted by aggressive Liverpool supporters and that he did set out that night uh, to cause trouble uh, with others. Um, He did take a number of mitigating Mm. factors into account, obviously the fact that he had pleaded guilty to the charge uh, last month but albeit at a late stage, so we didn't give them give him much of a discount. So we did sentence him for three years. Uh, Mr Lombardi's family were in court at the time, and they were distraught when he was taken away. And he, he said that the video footage showed Mr Lombardi setting out uh, to cause a, a violent clash. Uh, but tell us more uh, about that video, if you would, Frank, uh, and who is N40? Yeah, the, the video footage obviously played a crucial part in this trial. It was footage that was pieced together from various sources. There was a camera mounted outside the, uh, the, the famous cop stand that was recording footage from the streets below. Um, it showed Liverpool fans making their way to the stadium at about five past seven, so about 40 minutes before a kickoff on a Tuesday evening. We heard that Sean Cox had travelled there 
with his brother Martin. His brother had gotten the um, tickets for free from his boss and had asked Sean if he would like to join him. The two of them had supported Liverpool Football Club since they were boys and Sean was obviously thrilled and very excited about the game. They had a couple of drinks beforehand. They were on their way up. They had their arms around each other. You could see in the footage they were laughing, they were joking, they were in good form. Eyewitnesses described them being jovial and in a happy mood. And then at one point, looking at this footage, about 20 to 30 Roma fans are dressed in black with blue jeans and, and white trainers, all of them with their hoods up, some with their faces covered. Some, like Mr. Lombardi, had armed themselves with various implements. In his case, it was a belt. And you can just see in the footage this group of about 20 to 30 Roma fans floating into the uh, Liverpool supporters. Uh, there was another person then, a, um, I mentioned him earlier, another fan who had taken some video footage of um, what, what had happened and that footage was also shown to the jurors. And it can show, it showed, and I suppose, to the trauma of the family who decided to leave um, when this footage was being shown, and rightly so, because it showed Mr. Cox lying motionless on the floor after the after he was assaulted. You asked me who N40 was. Mm. He was a person that was described in proceedings as the man who threw the punch that knocked Mr. Cox. Mr. Lombardi was never accused mm. of throwing that punch. He was accused of lashing out with his belt, either at the same time or shortly afterwards. And clearly the jury came back and acquitted him of that charge. But N40, we heard, has been arrested. and There are extradition proceedings uh, in place uh, to get him to face uh, charges in the UK. And whoever this man is uh, that is referred to as N40 will undoubtedly have been watching the outcome of this trial with more interest perhaps uh, than others uh, because uh, the judge told Filippo Lombardi that he'd have faced a, a much longer sentence had he been convicted of the attack. Uh, the judge was very complimentary of Sean's wife Martina and indeed to the family who had uh, attended uh, the court throughout. He, he certainly was, yes. Uh, Judge Mark Brown uh, didn't mince his words when he was sentencing uh, Mr Lombardi yesterday. He told him that uh, he spoke about the role that football plays in society and he described it as a beautiful game. But he said that on the this evening in question, when families would have been attending the game, children would have been excited about the game. Uh, he, he told Mr Lombardi that he had brought disgrace on AS Roma. He said he had brought disgrace to Italian football in general, and he did compliment uh, Mr. Cox's family, the ones who had travelled. His wife Martina was there. His one of his sons was there. Um, Martin was there throughout. He gave evidence, um, and there were other families, family members there as well. And he did compliment them, and the way they they held themselves through proceedings, he said, was was very dignified. And and I'd like to echo that as well. It was clear, it was etched on their faces how how traumatic and how stressful the court proceedings were, particularly when Sean is lying in a hospital bed in the National Rehabilitation Centre in um, Dunleary. Um, clearly, he was their main priority, but they felt it important to be there in his place. He wasn't in a position to give evidence. Martin, like I mentioned, uh, did give evidence about what happened, but he said he didn't see um, anyone throwing a punch. He said that he just turned around as he was walking along. He heard some chanting from supporters behind him that gave him some cause for concern and he was turning around to reach out to his brothers to suggest that they get out of that particular area and when he did he said that he was in complete shock he turned around and he saw his brother lying motionless on the ground and we all know uh, what happened thereafter I'm 
Sure, your observations will be appreciated and uh, very much so locally. Frank Rainey, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Frank is News Talk's court correspondent. Now let's go back uh, to more of your comments. Marie, what else have you got for us? Sticking with the smear test controversy for the moment, Michael, uh, Grawley was in touch and says that all the talk that the Minister for Health and the Taoiseach did to reassure women and now it appears that they're not a bit organised to cope with the demand for smears. There's no real sense of urgency, I feel, and people will have less faith in the system. You shouldn't have to be waiting for up to four months or more for the results. I remember when it was just six weeks. Mm. Uh, Mary, on the same topic, says that she agrees with uh, Louise O'Reilly and about the need for transparency in relation to what's going on regarding the smears. And Mary just wonders the fact that the Minister um, for Health and the Taoiseach are both men. Would that have something to do with the lack of urgency? Says that it's an absolute disgrace. Mm. Moving then to the situation in Dundalk, in the Authentic Food Company, uh, we had Seamus in touch who said, I'm listening to your interview with Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick and there seems to be conflicting reports. The workers just wouldn't think there is something amiss. They must be getting uh, that, you know, through... Uh, the, the, the workplace mm. and if they're wrong then why don't the company nip the speculation in the bud mm. uh, the workers need to be told they could be worrying ne- needlessly mm-hmm. and they deserve to know what is happening yeah, if there well, is I something mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure that there are conflicting reports or if uh, I'm understanding uh, the comment correctly but I, I think that's exactly the point uh, that uh, there is concern uh, the company isn't saying there isn't a problem uh, the IDA are involved uh, the uh, department is involved, there's negotiations going on to what end God knows uh, and production is said to be stopping uh, towards uh, the end of this month uh, and it is that anxiety that yes. uh, you mentioned there that Peter Fitzpatrick was talking about and calling on the company uh, to come clean and say one way or another what's going to on. clarify yeah. the situation. All right. Okay. All right, we'll All right. on that. Thanks for that Marie and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's being said as always we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 185715 Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk again about parking charges in Drogheda. Labour Party Councillor P.O. Smith called on uh, members of uh, the municipal district to reinstate the old charge, to increase the charges to 120. <laughs> yeah, I, I was asking the, the members on Tuesday night to allow the charges to remain at 120. And you might remember mm. about six, seven weeks ago, there was a resolution passed to reduce it to one euro. Mm. And what I was looking for was to ring fence the 20 cent for spending solely in Drada. And we, I, I calculate along with uh, the Chief Financial Officer of Low County Council that we could have ring fence approximately uh, 1.5 million euros over a five-year period just for spending in Drogheda. Mm. And we could have developed a five-year plan for the town. So, for example, we could have spent money on heritage, from completely rebuilding the Buttergate. We could have allocated money to the town walls. The tourist office in Drogheda is in danger of closing. We could have allocated money to that. Municipal sports pitches, for example, have been identified in Drogheda. There's money available to do the, the, the pitch walk but there's no money available to do the road walks that are needed to get in. Mm. So we could have done that as well. And uh, we could have set up a community fund. For example, another issue that, that's popped up this year, uh, we could have prevented happening next year, uh, which is the fact that there's an awful lot of people in social housing that can't get any repairs. So we could have set up under housing uh, an emergency 
fund mm. so that if Loud County Council hadn't got the money next year to carry out uh, repairs in Drogheda, we could have stepped in. And unfortunately, uh, because Ken and his party and the mayor's casting vote went, went against that proposal, we now can't do that. Okay. You lost the argument. In other words, the Ken you refer to as Kenneth Flood, Sinn Féin councillor, who's on the line. Did you not want uh, to have the money to be able to spend it on these uh, type of things that P.O. Smith has been highlighting as problems? Uh, good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, P.O. Um, yeah, I would love to have that money, but let's let's be practical. Um, before every sentence P.O. said there, he said, could, could, could. Last year's budget... That was passed. There was money put for specific measures in Drada, and I will just list the ones that PO's party colleague Paul Bell said at the meeting. Money was allocated for walks in Ratmullen, safety measures on Ratmullen, including CCTV and other safety measures that were needed. None of that was done. So budget money, assurance is given, walk not done. Now, looking at it as a just parking charge issue, is at, it was a Drada municipal budget meeting. Now, the parking had never been brought up at these meetings before. We were there to pass the budget. So we looked at the budget in its entirety. Okay, hold that thought for a second. Uh, Where would the money have gone uh, if it hadn't have gone uh, on trying to uh, tackle some of uh, these issues that P.O. Smith has outlined? Would it have been gobbled up in the sky or would it have been gobbled up in the overall county council budget? We are excluded from the budgetary process. I spoke about this before. I spoke about it again this year. The chief executive excludes councillors from the budgetary process. So before the LPT meeting, we, the Sinn Féin group made a long and detailed submission on measures that could save and generate funding and had queries on where money was spent. Okay, just explain that to me, though. Explain that to me. But, but what does that mean? Does that, that mean that if you'd increased it to 120 you believe that the chief executive would have decided how to spend it? The chief executive at previous meetings made a very clear, in questions from, from Councillor Smith himself, uh, and made, made the point forcibly that she would decide where money was going to be spent. And only she would decide where money was going to be spent. OK, let me go back to P.O. Smith. And I do know you want to talk about parking. I'm sure you both do. But you're shaking your head on that uh, point. Uh, that's a completely inaccurate statement. Uh, and I think the reason why it is inaccurate. There is a specific piece of legislation that allows for one specific time of the year <clears throat> the, the borough district to... Had you ever heard that to, legislation before, P.O.? Uh, I did. It was actually me that actually uh, brought it up. Uh, so just let me answer the question first and then we can come back and discuss whatever you want. In relation to this piece of legislation, once, one time in the year at the Borough District Budget Meeting, <clears throat> the councillors can actually use their reserve function to increase local charges, raise the money, and only the councillors have the power to allocate where that money goes to. So, for example, mm. we get a general municipal allocation from the county budget. The county manager has no say in relation to where that money is spent. The councillors give that money out to various charities around the town. She has no say. Similarly, when we raise money at the municipal district level, at the budget meeting, it's only councillors who Okay, so you're saying it's a, a reserve function. You could increase Absolutely. the parking by 20 cents. Absolutely. The money raised, you could decide to spend on flower boxes or a festival or on a maintenance grant Absolutely. or whatever you decide. Yeah. Uh, you don't think that's the case, Kenneth Lord? <coughs> no. Um, this, so and, and the reason is that we had asked many times at many different meetings in 
the in-committee party Would it make a difference to you because Pia... council meeting. Okay, but, but would it make a difference to you if it was the case? Because Pia Smith seems pretty I, I, adamant. I don't know the answer, to be honest. But okay. would, would, would it make a difference to you, Kenneth Flood, if that was the case? If we had input into the budget, if our queries and questions were answered, if our opinions were taken about the county budget, the process, we can look at it in the county budget in its entirety. No, this is different. No, 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 no. He's talking about the 20 cent that he, he wanted yeah, to yeah. increase char- parking charges for. Uh, it, would it make a difference to you? Would you support increasing parking by 20 cent an hour if you could decide what to do with every 20 cent collected? If I, if, if I was confident it was going to be used where it could be used and the day previous to our budget meeting our D and the dock both had are you, co- are you committing to that? The, 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 are, 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 I haven't are, finished making my point I haven't finished making my point our D and the dock both had their budget meetings right, which were both voted down as well like they were in Drada and parking charges were never brought into it only okay. Drada only but Drada are you committing? Was it, was it brought up are you committing? we increased the parking charges and it be brought in we look at the entire ok the, you, you can talk the clock down you can talk the clock down if you want or you can answer the question are, are, are you committing uh, to supporting an increase in parking charges if you are convinced that you can decide how to spend the money I will look at that as part of the overall budgetary process there's nothing got to do with the overall budgetary process. The budgetary process in Loud County Council is completely distinct from the budgetary process in Gordonbury Municipal District. You you just really haven't got a clue what you're talking about here, Ken. I do, I do know what I'm talking about. The Chief Executive of Loud County Council made it quickly and the press were there. And I'll tell you what, it'll be in the minutes of the meeting that she made it quite clear that the councillors could actually raise the money at one particular point in the year. Okay, let me ask you a yeah. different question, right? Let's say you decide to increase charges by 20 cent and you decide to spend every 20 cent extra that is raised on flower boxes. Uh, and it comes to the overall county budget and uh, so much has been set aside for flower boxes. Will that budget not be reduced because Drogheda has its no, own money? No, because that's not the way the budget process works. But, it, you, but you won't need them. It still doesn't matter because basically the, this is this is what I'm talking about in terms of the 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 you can call it a, a gap mm. in the legislation, and the chief executive really referred to that the other night where she said it was never meant to be able to do this. Right. But basically, a municipal district can raise money for itself outside of the budgetary process of Lowe County Council. It's a very specific piece mm. of legislation. But, what, but but then you'd have let's say you wanted one flower box just to try and make mm. it understandable. Mm. You'd have two. Because the county would pay for one and the money from the parking charges would have already bought one. Yeah, so you'd have one that you don't want. You'd have one too many. Yeah, that's only if you're... But you see, it's at the discretion mm. of council. So, for example, uh, if we, we get money for festivals every year from Low County Council. So, for example, the Maritime Festival costs €270,000. Mm. So if we raise €300,000 by increasing the parking charges by the 20 cent, yeah. we're not going to spend another €200,000 on the Maritime Festival because mm. it'd be silly. We can actually have. We actually have that power. Ken knows this. We act, because this was discussed mm. at some of the council meetings uh, in Drada in relation to parking charges. And actually, on two occasions recently, Ken voted against reducing mm. the rate from one twenty to one euro. Can uh, I just clarify uh, that point? As did the council for Sinn Féin. At that exact point at that exact meeting. Then they would have gone back at the public consultation and the no-charge parking disaster that was impacting businesses in Drada would have continued for several months more. We made that point at the time. We were in favour of the one euro parking charge, but we would do it when we had a full set of bylaws in front of us. 
and we could end the parking fiasco as quickly as possible. But are you willing to look at this, Kenneth Flood? Like I, I keep saying, we will look at the overall budgetary process. But you won't look at this in isolation. You won't look at the opportunity no, 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 of raising money locally to spend. I, I, I can give you one item from air budget submission, which is on public toilet. That's to the so county council. Can you please clarify, was that to the county council, your budget yeah, submission, right, or was it to draw the borough? Just, just, just to make it simple for people listening, right? The question to you is, if you have the ability to raise money locally that would be spent locally, will you do that? We will look at the full budgetary process because... So you won't look at that on its own? It will not solve the overall issues in Drogheda. No, no. It will not solve the issues. No, we're not not asking about all of the issues in Drogheda or in the county. We're asking you specifically about the ability... You're asking me specifically to play with one piece of the jigsaw, not the... the I will not play with one piece of the jigsaw. I will not play with one piece when it can have knock-on effects elsewhere in Drogheda. I will not do that. I will not see an unequal parking regime... P.O. Smith, when P.O. Smith... Okay, but just to understand, when P.O. Smith says you have the ability to raise money locally that you can spend locally, you're not interested. I am very interested in that as part of the overall picture, as part of the full... No, no, no. I will not... You're convoluting. You're intentionally... You're intentionally convoluting the question. I will not increase charges in Drogheda. I will not have Drogheda have an unequal parking regime. Okay. Well, can I ask you a question then? Well, that's that's the answer. Can I ask you a question then? If if I get the the Chief Executive of Low County Council at the next meeting to confirm that if we raise the parking charge by 20 cent and it's solely at the discretion of the council... I'm sorry, P.O., but he's already said no. He said he won't charge more in Drogheda than Dundalk. But sorry, that question was answered. But that's what he just said. That's what he just said a moment ago. Isn't that right, Kenneth? I said it's part of the overall budget. Yes, yeah, but, that, that, but I know. Yeah, but we, you were, we would yeah, look at yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, well, yeah. I, I find and that ironic because... Why is only the parking charges in Drogheda being highlighted? Why does the Chief Executive, for the first time ever, and only in Drogheda, she didn't the ask for the, She didn't ask for the parking charges to be raised to 120. I did. She no, didn't. Ask, she, she was against she raised, it, and because she, that, she the, par- the chief executive of Low County Council, was going to get legal spoke. opinion against me because she said I was undermining Low County Council uh, because I was looking to ring fence money for spending and draw. Don't be trying to mix the two things up here. Let's, let's call it spade a spade. You had the opportunity to raise charges and draw to spend in the town, and you didn't do it. And by the way, you didn't. You voted against Kevin Callan's proposal, as did Sinn Fein, on two occasions. To well, reduce the parking charges, and that was after we had already. That's after we had already approved the bylaws. Because I've got to vote here. Okay. I've got to vote here. They're actually there. Okay. I have the minutes of the meeting here. You're okay. down as voting against. And you, it. you also have an advantage because we can hear you a bit better than we can hear Kenneth. Let's said. just hear from Kenneth Flood, uh, and then we're going to finish up. Uh, you want to respond to that, Kenneth Flood? To vote against the one year parking charge. Okay. If we had a vote with at that time, at that time, then they would have the so the bylaws were back out to public consultation, and the no charge parking disaster would have continued for an additional three months. Whereas if we waited till the bylaws came back and looked at all the issues in the town, such as around the hospital zone and such as the other parking on the North Strand and on the Dublin Road, we could okay. address all issues together and bring back pay parking charges. Mm in a far quicker time than it would have been 
if we had a vote for the one euro okay. charge the fourth time okay. it was proposed okay listen as I said I, I've run right over time but thank you both for your time and for joining us uh, this morning uh, that's uh, Louth County Councillors uh, based in Drogheda Pio Smith of uh, the Labour Party and Sinn Féin's Kenneth Flood Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, a statement just issued by the presidential candidate, uh, Peter Casey, in which he says, in light of uh, the events of uh, the past few days, I'm taking the weekend off from the campaign to think carefully about whether to continue in the race. I do not want the people of Ireland to elect me as president of Ireland just based on one statement I made. I want to be of service and make a real difference. I have the expertise and ability to be an influencer. I want to connect people at home and abroad. I know that my world experience and global views will make me a uniquely suitable candidate for president with drivability and energy. As I say, that's a statement that's just been issued by Peter Casey. He's going to think carefully about whether to continue in the race or not. And we're sure we'll be hearing more about that over the weekend that he is taking off. Time now, though, as is usual around this time on a Friday for a review of the contributions made in Leinster House this week by TDs and senators from counties Louth and Mead. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Here's our parliamentary correspondent, Camry. Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Loud Me, the Oireachtas Report. We begin a roundup this week with a contribution made in the Senate on Wednesday. Labour Senator Jed Nash told the House that delays in the issuing of welfare payments to certain individuals are causing immense distress to members of the public and called for the issue to be addressed urgently. We still have probably thousands of people waiting for illness benefit payments to be made to them, uh, people who are in very, very difficult circumstances, and the only response from the department is, well, go and see the community welfare officer. Now, nobody wants to have to go to see the community welfare, welfare officer um, to uh, allow them simply to make ends meet uh, while they're awaiting uh, the processing of a payment. So I'd ask that the minister uh, would, at the very least, uh, ensure that sufficient staff are allocated to the illness benefit processing section of the department to allow uh, claims that have been made through the old forms to be processed forthwith because there are many, many people in this country, many of them have contacted my office, who are literally living on the clippings of tin over the last few weeks. So I would ask and ask the House to appeal to the Minister to ensure that there is sufficient staff available to process these payments because people have been waiting far too long for payments that they're entitled to through the stamps that they've paid. Changes are on the way that will regulate the practice of short-term lettings for rental property. Speaking in the Senate on Thursday, Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Meath West, Damien Inglis, said new proposals are expected to be published in the coming weeks. Having considered the group's report, as well as the recommendations in the Rockers Committee's report on short-term lettings, Minister Murphy and I are currently engaging with, with other relevant ministers in relation to the appropriate next steps in taking the proposed regulatory regime forward. Among the options, under consideration is the development of a new licensing regime for the short-term letting platforms and homeowners who rent out rooms or entire properties to tourists who facilitate a more managed approach to short-term tourist lettings and to protect the existing stock of residential property, in particular long-term rental accommodation in areas of high demand, again referred to by Deputy or Senator Humphreys, and rightly so, because it is, we have some, some very good examples there of where this situation has been abused. The timeline's here because Minister Murphy, as you said, has on a number of occasions tried to prioritise this and tried to bring it through. It is complicated legally. Uh, it wasn't, it did, was at the committee there at the end of September and said it would be in, in a week's time. It was hoped to have this done before the, before the budget, uh, all, the, all the time took over by the budget. It got, there was a little bit of a legal issue in the last week. It is practically nearly ready and he hopes to be able to uh, announce the changes here in the next week or two. The termination of Pregnancy Bill 2018 was discussed in the Dáil during the week. Sinn Féin TD for Meath West, Pather Tobin, told the House on Wednesday night that he found it unacceptable that millions of euro will be made available 
unable to provide free abortions, no money can be found to treat ailments like scoliosis. I think it's staggering that we have the minister making sometimes giddy videos with regards these step forwards for women's health care, while at the same time we have 350,000 women languishing on waiting lists in the healthcare system in this country. It jars with many people that millions of euros of taxpayers' money will be spent providing abortions that they conscientiously oppose, while no money seems to be able to be found for emergency scoliosis operations for children or to house the 4,000 children who are homeless at the moment. Now, Minister, in a recent poll from Amoric Research, Voters are opposed to taxpayer-funded abortions, including 44% of yes voters, and it's no wonder. Fianna Fáil TD Declan Brannock said that while he accepts the outcome of the referendum, he has concerns about the intentions of the abortion legislation. I wish to speak for the people of the Loud constituency on this issue. The 65.5% who voted yes, but also the 35.5% who voted no, There are particular concerns to me, and many of those concerns have been voiced both by those who have voted yes and those who voted no. I know that the bill proposes to provide for an early termination of pregnancy, which may be carried out by a medical practitioner, who, having examined the pregnant woman, is of a reasonable opinion, formed in good faith, that the pregnancy concerned has not exceeded 12 weeks of pregnancy. The bill further provides that the termination of pregnancy may not be carried out unless at least three days have elapsed from the date of certification. I have, like others, a concern in relation to those timescales involved in cases which fall outside of the early termination definition. The Dáil discussed a private member's bill that will allow Gardaí to question people who illegally operate quad bikes. Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster told the Chamber on Wednesday that the law needs to be amended as loopholes allow operators to cause chaos. Gardaí have said that they seriously struggle to manage this issue in public greens and parks, finding the existing laws very difficult to enforce. Gardaí simply do not have the power to confiscate and detain ATVs that are operated illegally on public spaces. The government has said that on many occasions that the Gardaí do have this power, but local community and safety forums, the Gardaí and others, have contradicted this. They say that the Gardaí cannot currently stop people operating on quads, on housing estates and in parks, as these areas are not strictly defined in legislation as public property or public roads. So when Gardaí sees these vehicles, they have to return them to the owners without sanctioning the driver or the owner as they are technically not in breach of the law, as these greens and parks that they're driving on are not covered for in legislation. The Dáil was told on Thursday that there is widespread disappointment in Dulik over a decision not to construct a secondary school in the area. Fianna Fáil TD for me, the East, Thomas Byrne, told Education Minister Joe McHugh that in light of the population size in the area, the failure to approve such a school did not make sense. I should also note in relation to the uh, Drogheda Lake Town scenario that there is considerable disappointment in Dulik County Me that has to be said that uh, there was a petition, there was a campaign there within the Drogheda uh, catchment area for second level schools, but there's considerable disappointment that your, disappointment that your predecessor uh, decided not to locate the secondary school there. Now he did give reasons for it, uh, but it is the largest town in County Mead uh, without a secondary school and I really can't overstate the dis- disappointment that's there. 
What I want to know as well is, Minister, the, these schools will start off on a fledgling basis. Many of them are a medium-term prospect. They may not be necessarily in every area needed next year. They're going to have an impact on existing schools. Uh, and I'm concerned, for example, Sacred Heart School, Drogheda, which has a uh, huge catchment in the Drogheda, South Loud, East Mead area, and they seem to have gone on, 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 on the slow lane as regards some fairly, relatively minor building works that they are waiting to have. With it. They're minor compared to some projects, but essentially they're waiting for science labs and some other accommodation. So I'm wondering, are they being impacted then on the decision to locate another school in the area, and is that something that's going to feature around the country? Thank you very much. Final comments, Minister? Yeah, and look, I just, I, I, there are interim measures that will be needed as well, and it should be noted that where necessary, an initial phase start-up is envisaged for the new schools, which typically, involve, typically involves the use of interim accommodation as part of the department's forward planning. This is the first time the require, requirement for new schools is set out over a four-year uh, horizon, and this will provide a better lead-in period for the planning and delivery of permanent accommodation solutions. The Greyhound Racing Bill was discussed in the Shannon during the week. Finnegale Senator Ray Butler told the House on Wednesday that anybody caught doping greyhounds should be banned from the sport for life. I welcome the governance that's in this bill for the doping end, end of things and for the breeding end of it. But I feel that it's not strong enough, the legislation, when it comes to doping. I see these uh, uh, governance committees being set up and the fines do not suit the crime. Giving somebody a 500 euro fine or a 1,000 euro fine or 15 for doping dogs. If you're found, it should be strike out, gone. You should be banned for life if you're doping dogs. In the breeding end of it, in the breeding governance of it as well, that anybody that's unauthorised people that are breeding in back sheds or are caught like that, they should be also banned as well or any cruelty or suffering to the animal. The doll was told on Tuesday that Louth County Council is paying over €1 million Euro per year in interest on its loans. Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick told Housing Minister Owen Murphy that all other spending by the council is now suffering as a result. In my own county of Louth, the Louth County Council are paying over £1 million a year in interest to pay off these loans. Yesterday, our chief executive in the Louth County Council is going to cut back our budget to balance the books. It means that like, uh, government grants in the area, so local, local grants in the area will be given out. So, Minister, you ask for solutions, or give me solutions. There's actually vacant houses in the dark and surrounding areas in County Loud that are bored up because there's no money to service these to relet them. So, Minister, you ask for solutions, we give solutions. That was two weeks ago, I heard absolutely nothing back. Can you please give me an update on the situation? Local authorities are building houses on their own land. That is happening. Local authorities, particularly the one in Loud, the CPOing houses and does have money to repair those houses and to have those houses relet. And that response from Housing Minister Owen Murphy to a question from Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick concludes our Loud Me the Oireachtas summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the Houses of the Oireachtas Weekly Report. Thanks, Ken. And Ken Murray should have another Loud Me, the Rockus report for us in around the same time on next Friday's programme. The reports are brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just to uh, a quick clarification, uh, Drogheda Tourism have uh, been in touch with us following the interview earlier with Councillor P.O. Smith, in which it was suggested uh, that there was a danger that the tourist office might close in Drogheda. They say that while the office hours have been reduced from 6 
days to a five-day week for the winter months to save on heating and lighting costs at a time when it is not busy and we do not have a shortfall in funding. There is no danger of the office closing. We will be reopening on Saturdays in April. We have a fundraising project, Friends of Drogheda on the Boyne Tourism, which businesses or individuals can support by joining at a cost of €40 Euro a year. And we are delighted to clarify that for you. And our thanks to Drogheda Tourism. Now, let's uh, go to an appeal for a woman who is facing homelessness after being a tenant in Ashburn for the last 17 years. Sinn Féin councillor Darren O'Rourke is on the line. Uh, apparently, the house she's been living in for all of that time is about to be sold. Is that right? Yeah, that's the situation, Michael. Um, a, a lovely lady, a, a great tenant, um, has found herself in a situation that very many people um, have found themselves in. And um, when I was talking to your researchers there, and yesterday there was a lot of media attention. I think it's going to get get uh, more attention again because um, it's a story that went viral to some degree on on social media. But the truth of the matter is. Um, that you could deal with cases like this on your show, Michael, two of them a day between Louth and Mead, um, because this scenario is just so prevalent and frequent. Um, unfortunately, this lady is in her mid-60s, and she's been renting a property, very good tenant for 17 years, and the landlord has found himself in a position where they, they need or want to, to sell up, and they gave notification, and... This poor lady has not been able to find an alternative um, that is within the, you know, within her means. Um, she's supported by rent allowance at the minute. She is eligible for for HAP rental support, but the threshold in the Ashburn area for a single person is only in the region of seven hundred ninety euros. And so this woman is sixty five. She's on a disability pension, and if the threshold is seven hundred ninety euros, what does that mean? Does that mean that if you're sixty five and on a disability pension, you can't afford to live in Ashburn? Well, that's the practical reality of it. Yeah. Um, so, so for for, uh, for many years, rent allowance there was a, uh, there was a stipulation that you you had to live in a property for the rent allowance value, you couldn't go above it and a blind eye was torn. Mm. In fairness to, to HAP, they say, well, you can, you know, you can top it up yourself, but this is the limit. Um, you can top it up within certain restrictions because they don't want to drive people into poverty. Yeah. But the practical reality of it is, you know, and, and, and I know myself, I've said it before in your show, Michael, I'm a private renter. I know the realities of, of uh, seeking and looking for uh, private rental accommodation in Ashburn. You will be faced with literally over 100 people in a queue waiting to view properties there. I know it. I've experienced it myself. Cash in hand, ready to go, deposit, month in advance. Um, uh, absolutely no problem. So then the question arises, mm. why, would a, why would a landlord be interested in, in, in HAP? And it's only really, in the vast majority of these cases, it's down to you know, a good-willed or well-intentioned or well-connected person that that um, that knows the, the the practicalities of the situation. Uh, would she get more than seven hundred and ninety in Fingal? Yeah, she would. Yeah, right. and and okay. and, they, and yeah. in addition to that, there's there's other supports that would happen. Um, you wouldn't pay much more though for the rent, would you? No, no, you wouldn't, and that's the difficulty. And right. and 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 the truth of of the matter is, and this is the really really frustrating thing, is that mm. there was. In the eight months that this lady has been chasing down properties, there was a, a deal on the table, if you like. There was a property, a landlord, 
uh, willing to take uh, her on as a hap tenant in Ashburn. But in Ashburn, mm-hmm. but the council would not budge. Would she get? The, would, would she get that much if she was renting in Kells? She she would be eligible. For, That's what I mean. Yeah. El- yeah. Yeah. You might you mightn't pay that in rent, but exactly, if somebody exactly. was asking yeah. that amount, you you would be eligible for the same amount. It, in county, so, me technically you would be eligible. In fairness, the council have discretion in relation mm. to it. They they're conscious that they you know they will see what what rents are in Kells. They don't want to. They're supposed to not want to add to the the increase in rents. You know, okay, but, but it's bizarre, isn't it? Because you could go to Kells and you'd be entitled to up to 790. You could go to Fingal uh, and the rent would be the same as what you're paying in Ashburn, but you'd be entitled to more. You don't know how much that is, do you? I'm not off the top no, of my head. But you'd be entitled to more. Uh, but in Ashburn, uh, you're not getting what's needed to afford somewhere. Absolutely. And, and with so much of... The, the problems in, in housing, in my opinion, Michael, and there's lots of debate, and I've been on many times before, it is the, the lack of flexibility and nuance to reflect the realities on the ground. That It's it's like you're, you're dealing with robots. Computer says no, no flexibility. These are the rules. These are the criteria. Okay. When... When it's a dynamic situation on the ground and rents are going up, and and it's it, it's a very different reality in Kells compared to Ashburn. I know okay. those two areas very very well. Mm, but this lady obviously would like to stay in Ashburn. If somebody can help, uh, they can contact you or they can contact us, and we can put them in touch with you. Uh, and consequently, the lady herself. We leave there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Fein Councillor Darren O'Rourke brings our program to its conclusion today, and indeed for this week. Remember that if you'd like to listen back to today's program, as always, there'll be a podcast available on our website. MFM.ie. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. 